If you have a Bible, I invite you to open it with me now to the book of Romans in the New Testament, Romans chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, you're in luck. Uh, the passage is right there in the bulletin. You can find that on the, the kind of the second last page of the bulletin where it says sermon notes. It's a very short passage um, from Romans chapter 8. We're just going to read two verses, verses 38 and 39 of Romans chapter 8. For some of you, these words are really, really familiar. For others, maybe they are brand new. But this is God's Word. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. So I'm obviously uh, setting aside the message that I had intended to preach this morning. Well, I had actually intended to preach it a week ago, and then I intended to preach it this morning. Now, maybe I'll preach it next week. In any case, it's set aside because this morning I want to deal with the tragedy that we as a church and as brothers and sisters in the Lord are living with right now, and that's Nathan's passing. Like all of you, I was shocked and devastated to learn of his passing. Nathan was was a, a parishioner of this church. He, and sometimes your relationship can be complicated. And ours kind of was. Um, I don't know if you know this. Uh, Nathan was the first person I had the privilege of baptizing in Grace Valley Church. October 30th, 2016, I baptized Nathan in serenity and came. And I still remember that day very, very clearly, and I remember the look on Nathan's face. I said earlier, Nathan was a tough guy, um, and he was a tough guy. Could be an intimidating guy. But I remember him kneeling of joy. Tears of gratitude. Um, he, was, he was so happy in that moment. He had waited a long time for that moment. Uh, and so I'm heartbroken this morning like many of you are. Um, and we've got lots of questions and there's all kinds of emotions running through us, and we should not shy away from that. We should not be afraid of facing pain and sorrow. In fact, our world is full of too many people who, because they are afraid of facing pain and sorrow, 
and they distract themselves with their phones and with their Facebook accounts and, and with their uh, involvements in all kind of things that they, they suppress that pain and it comes out in ugly ways. And so it is very important that we together and we're going to process some of these emotions that we're feeling as we have a memorial service for Nathan and I, I encourage you to be part of that. But this morning, I want to deal a little bit with a few, few of our emotions and maybe at least one of our questions. Nathan was what some might call a troubled soul. He lived with a lot of deep-seated pain and a lot of suffering. He suffered a lot uh, over his life. And you know, for some people like that who suffer a lot over their lives, there is a fear that they experience that is greater than the fear of death. And it's the fear of life. It's the fear of the next morning. And the next morning. Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a horrible thing to say, but some of you know exactly what I'm talking about because you go to bed some nights and secretly you hope that you won't wake up in the morning. And that is precisely how Nathan felt sometimes. He felt it very, very deeply over the last couple of weeks, probably month or so, maybe longer. It's hard to tell. But that's what happened with him. Now, some of you might be saying, but Nathan was a Christian. How can a Christian feel so hopeless? And you know, it's a question that I have asked myself hundreds of times, I think. Not just now, but over the years. And I may not have full answers for you, but I think that there are a couple, at least, biblical answers that can at least help us cope with our pain. And the first part of the answer is this, that the Bible actually acknowledges, the Bible actually recognizes that sometimes this happens. There's a psalm, Psalm 88, that I encourage every single one of you to read at some point. Maybe today, at least this week, read Psalm 88. It gives voice nowhere in this psalm. Is there any way out? There is no light at the end of the tunnel described. There is no hint of salvation hope anywhere in this psalm. And in fact, that's actually a strange comfort. And here's why. Because you see, those were words that were penned by what many of us would call a spiritual giant. This is someone who knew God intimately, who walked with God very, very closely, and yet could experience such darkness and such pain and such sorrow that they felt like, like God was nowhere to be found. And here's what that means. God had those words put in His book, in His Word, which means that God understands what it's like to feel like that. And God says it's okay for us to feel like that. In fact, Jesus Christ 
the Son of God himself, who was, I guess you could call him the perfect believer. <laughs> he understood fully. He knew exactly what Nathan was feeling because you see, on the cross, we read in the Bible that the whole world, while Jesus was on the cross, the whole world was plunged into total darkness. He was in the God, his father. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And heaven was silent. Listen, friends. And listen close. Christians have a God who empathizes. Who knows our pain, who knows our sorrow, who knows our hurt. Listen, he is not a distant, impersonal force. He is not just a higher power that we vaguely talk about. He is not just an energy that runs through the universe. No, he is an actual person, an individual with a personality, with emotions, with an intellect, with a being. And this being dared to enter into this world because he loved us so much. And there is tremendous comfort in knowing that he understands what we're going through. That's the first part of the answer. there's a second part of the answer that is even more beautiful than the first part. You know, I, we read these two verses from Revelation 8, and they're pretty incredible, hey? Paul lists all these things that he says could potentially separate a believer, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ from God. And he says, for example, angels and demons... He's talking about supernatural forces. He's saying no supernatural force, no matter whether it's good or evil, can separate a believer from God. He mentions the present or the future. He says that there is no time in history that can separate us from God. No circumstances that you could face, no matter how bad they look, can separate you from the love of God. He says no height or depth. He's talking about, about space. He's saying that there's no place you could go in or if you are all alone in your home, you can never be separated from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in case we don't get it, he says, not any powers, not the powers of depression, not the powers of addiction, not the powers of the deep wounds of our past, not the powers of the devil himself, nothing can separate. Utterly incredible. But here's the most poignant thing about this. These verses, these verses were actually the last thing I shared with Nathan before he passed away. The last thing I shared with him. The last communication I shared with him. And you know what it says? The very first thing in the list, it says neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And I never even thought of this before. I'll be honest with you. This, this didn't even make sense to me at first. But what I understood now is that, listen, for Nathan, 
life itself sometimes felt like too much to bear. He would wonder, can, can God really love someone like me because of my life, because of my story, because of my history? And Paul says right here, yes! Even your life cannot separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus your Lord. I don't care who you are here this morning. It does not matter what you've done. It does not matter what's been done to you. It does not matter how shameful you feel. It does not matter how alone you feel. If you hold on to Jesus Christ, the promise is if you believe in him, even if you're believing in him just by your fingertips, even if you're saying, Lord, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief, even if you're saying, I can barely believe, I have such a hard time believing, even in the moments of your deep deepest, darkest, abject doubts, God reaches down and says, I've got you. I don't know what you think about religion. This, Our salvation does not depend on us. It's not ours to achieve. It doesn't depend on how good we are. It does not depend on how hard we work. It does not depend on how worthy we feel. It does not depend whether we gain victory over our depression or whether we fix our broken marriages or whether we give all of our money away to the poor or whether we overcome an addiction. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It depends on his work, not ours. God, for a Christian is responsible for our salvation from beginning to end. When you trust in him, you are made right with him. If you believe in Jesus, he paid for all your sins, every one of the past, every one of the present, every one of the future, even the ones you didn't even know you committed and never said sorry for. And nothing, 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 no That is the beauty of Christianity. Listen, let me just be brutally frank with you. Sometimes people think Christianity is true only if it works. It's going to solve all their problems. It's going to fix them. It's going to fix their relationships. It's going to fix the people in their lives. They expect it to fix everything. Now I finally got it. It'll fix everything. And when it doesn't, they become disillusioned and they think it's not true anymore. I want you to know, friends, Christianity does not promise to fix everything. Not in this life. At the end, yes, At the end, yes, you heard it in our time of confection. There will be a day when Jesus will wipe away every single tear from our eyes, but that day is not here, and now it is at the end of time. But the promise is that every bit of pain and sorrow and suffering that you and I know now will not compare, will not even be in the same category will not even be in the same ballpark as the joy and the glory and the pleasure and the elation that we will know when we are united with our Savior. See, Christianity is true because 2,000 years ago, the Son of God was crucified for our sin and raised for our justification. And every single one of us here, as we are drawing towards Christmas, you have got to wrestle with the question, who is that guy? 
Who is that guy? I remember sitting across the room with Nathan and pressing him and saying, who is that guy? Is he who he says he is? And at one point, Nathan finally said, of course, he's Jesus. He's the son of God. And I said, what are you going to do about it? Too many of us sitting in this room say, yes, Jesus is the son of God, but we're not doing anything about it. We make it a piece of news like on our Twitter feed. By the way, Jesus is the son of God. Oh, by the way, the Dallas Cowboys sucked this year and they lost again. Like it's the same thing. But it's not the same thing. And Nathan knew that. Deep in his bones, he knew that. And because he knew that deep in his bones, he got what Christianity is about. You know what Christianity is about? It's about Jesus, the Son of God, taking the punishment that we deserve and uniting us to God's love forever so that nothing can separate us from it. That's the core. That's what really matters. Everything else is an effect of that. Many people here know the effects of that, have experienced the effects of that. Because of your relationship with Jesus, you have overcome addiction. You have, you have seen broken relationships healed. You have been freed from past traumas. You have, you have had depression lift from your hearts. And Nathan did too, by the way. This tough guy was the most sweet, gentle father. He taught me so much about what it means to have long-suffering compassion for people who don't get it. Who call you up for the umpteenth time and say, I did it again, I screwed up again, I failed again. And you wonder, do they even mean it? But he would get in his car and he would go and he would sit and he would listen. He taught me so much about that. That came from his relationship with Jesus Christ. Nathan was at his best, at his happiest, at his most glowing when he was sitting with Howie and Eddie and, and Eric and they were just sitting in his living room talking about the Bible. from the things that haunt us in this life. I've talked to this church a few times about a guy named William Cowper. William Cowper was a hymn writer who lived in the 1700s. And he wrote some unbelievable music. But he struggled all his life with the question, can God save a sinner like me? And he dealt with depression a lot. And he even... He even spent time in, in hospitals and institutions. And at, near the end of his life, a friend of his named John Newton, some of you maybe have heard of John Newton. He wrote Amazing Grace. He was a slave trader who converted to Christianity and became a pastor and wrote Amazing Grace. His friend, John, John Newton, took him into his home near the end of his life. And there's a play about their relationship. And, and in the final scene of the play, or, or almost the final scene of the play, John Newton is standing over William Cowper's bed. William's uh, almost, he's passing away and he's dying and he's feeling the weight of this. And he's, he's John Newton is trying to, to, to encourage him. And, and right up till the end, he had a hard time believing it. And then he passes away and you think that it's the most tragic ending. But John Newton stands over the bed of his passed away friend and he pauses for a minute, and he looks up, and he says, See, Cowper, I told you so. Mm -hmm. 
Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in our in Christ Jesus our Lord, not even our doubts, not even our insecurities, not even our fears. So I'm going to close with two points. Some of you here are dealing with a lot of guilt. I've talked to a bunch of you. You think you failed, Nathan. You think that one more text one more phone call, one more conversation maybe, maybe could have prevented all this. But you didn't do it. Make no mistake, but listen. Could we have done more? Sure. Nobody loves another person perfectly in this life. Please understand that. Not a single one of us, if we are a spouse, if we are a friend, if we are a parent, we are incapable of perfectly loving, perfectly providing for the spiritual, emotional needs of another person. None of us. We're not built for it. There's only one who is built for it. We have an eternal hole in our heart and it can only be filled by an eternal love and that love comes from Jesus But listen, Paul is saying not even my failure as a pastor, not even my failure as a friend can separate Nathan from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. No amount of convincing yourself you did all you could will ultimately console you. What will console you is knowing that Jesus was in, that Nathan was in the hands of his Savior. God was ultimately responsible for him. And if you wonder if God really cared, and if you're angry with God for taking him, would you please go back to the cross and remember what Nathan, what Nathan basked in, that when Jesus was hanging there dying, he was thinking of his brother Nathan. He had Nathan's name on his lips. He had Nathan's life in his mind. He had Nathan's, Nathan's pain and suffering on his heart. He was taking it all for him. How could we ever wonder whether God loved him or not? And so, the last thing I want to do is I want to do the very thing Nathan always wanted to do. This is what Nathan always wanted. People closest to him hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> Have you told all your neighbors about Jesus? Nathan did. He had no qualms with it at all. It helps when everybody's a little intimidated by you, so you can kind of say whatever you want, and people aren't going to give you a hard time, but still. Listen, for those of us who fear death or even fear life, Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. 
and you will find rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. He stands with arms wide open. But you've got to come. I pray you will. Um, some of you maybe want to come today. Maybe God's stirring something in you now. After the service, there will be a few people right over here who will be ready to talk to you and pray with you. Maybe you just want some prayer. You don't even have to give your name. But they'll be here. I'm around. Mark's around. Mark was the guy playing guitar. Another friend of Nathan's. We're around. Don't. If God is at work in you right now, making you wonder, making you think, don't. Don't leave, please. Don't leave without talking to someone. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for our brother Nathan. We wish he was still here with us, but we are so grateful to know that he is there with you. And he's already experiencing the very thing that we all want to know and experience ourselves, freedom from our suffering, from our guilt, from our shame. But we're here left to carry on. How do we do that, Father? We do it by your power. We do it by your grace. We do it by loving each other and reminding each other that we are all pilgrims on a journey waiting for a new city, heading for a new city, a great city. And that when we're there, when we finally reach it, we will fall into your everlasting arms and know a bliss and a joy that this world can't give, even in its cheapest, even if it's in its most sophisticated of counterfeits. Be with us as we carry on. Be with Lara and Serenity and Cain. Show your love to them in ever-increasing clarity, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.